and we're going to go on to our next attribute of God, and we're going to talk about his self-existence or his self-sufficiency. And um, I'm going to probably just have to say this every week, but let me encourage you to take what we, what we talk about each week and think about it after we talk about it. Because, again, there's no way that we'll ever be able to fully comprehend any of these attributes of God, even if we were to take the rest of our lives to think about them. Uh, but just one lesson or one time as you sit here in, in, uh, in this hour uh, is, is not going to be enough to even fully appreciate it right now. And it'll be something that you'll have to think about for the rest of your life. But let me encourage you to think about it. And I, I've been doing that and thinking about last week we talked about uh, God's infinitude and the fact that God is infinite. He knows no limits and he knows no boundaries. And, and, and thinking about how does that apply to me? How does that apply to my life? And, and this week... Uh, really thinking about it in the light of prayer. And we were talking about it uh, earlier this week in some of our, our prayer meetings up at the college. And, and just how uh, God knows no limits, God knows no bounds, and yet because of the prayers that we pray, because of the faith that we have or don't have, we put a limit on God. When he doesn't have one, and yet we place one on him. And uh, what a shame that that is. And so think about these things. And today, as we look at God's self-existence or self-sufficiency. Um, and this is probably not something that we think about a whole lot with God, but oh my goodness, the truth that we get to at the end um, is how it applies to us and, and, and how we need to think about it. It's just so, so good. And so look at Acts chapter 17 and look at verse number 22. And this is the story of the apostle Paul in the city of Athens. And he has fled Berea uh, after persecution. He's gone to Athens. He's there waiting on Silas and Timothy and while he's there, he walks around and, and sees the city. And uh, uh, verse number uh, 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, the spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And so he began to do something about it in verse 17. And uh, that's another message for another day. But look down at verse number 22, because he comes to a place, Mars Hill, which was the disputing place of the day. This is where theologians and religious leaders and people with minds and thoughts about just about anything in the Greek culture, uh, it, was, uh, it, it was encouraged to speak your mind and your thoughts. And this is where they would come to do that. And they would debate things. And so look at verse 22. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and behold your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Him therefore ye ignorantly worship, uh, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold and silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. And so Paul comes to the Athenians and he says, I've been walking around your city and I've noticed all of these idols. And of course, Greek culture and Greek mythology had many different gods and many different idols. 
And he said, I've noticed all these temples and these idols and all the gods that you worship. And I even saw one that you used to cover all of your bases to the unknown God. Greeks had an idol to the God that they, they, they were so sure that there were so many gods that they wanted to make sure that even for the ones that they didn't know about, they were going to worship them. And so they had one for the unknown God. And Paul said, I know that God, and I'm going to declare him to you today. And so he begins to give us this, this description of God in verses 24 and 25. And, and really the biggest difference that Paul points out and the, the contrast that he makes to the gods and the idols that the Athenians were worshiping was this, the worship of idols in ancient times and, and still to this day, is done with the mindset that the God that was worshipped needed something. The God that was being worshipped needed something. And so these men of Greece, as they worshipped their gods, they would bring sacrifices, and they would kill animals, and they would burn incense. And all of that was done with the thought that we need to strengthen our God. And the more that we kill and sacrifice to our God, the stronger that that God will be. And the more that we pray to that God, the happier that God will be. And the more uh, that we bring our devotion and our worship to that God, the closer to us that God will be. But here's the thing. Our God does not need any of that. Look at verse number 25 says, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath in all things. The gods of the pagan world, and even again, still to this day, uh, they need to be kept going. They, in the minds of man that worship him, need to be strengthened. They need to be motivated. They need to be interested in the people that worship them. And the more that we worship and the more that we do for them, that is going to give them what they need. But our God, Jehovah God, needs no such support system. God is not like the gods of pagan nations or of history. And if you read through Psalm 50 or Isaiah chapter 40, you see the contrast between God and idols. Uh, in fact, go to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah 44. In Isaiah, we looked at many verses last week, and we'll see a few more again today, just proclaiming these attributes of God, who God is. And, and many times, and in here in chapter 44, he does it again. It, it, it contrasts the, the, the foolishness of worshiping an idol, a small g God. Look at verse number six. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Look at verse number nine. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a God or molten a graven image that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed. And the workmen, they are of men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear and they shall be ashamed together. The smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals and fashion it with the hammers and worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he is hungry and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water and is faint. The carpenter stretcheth out his rule. He marketh it out with the line. He fitteth it with the planes and marketh it out with the compass and maketh it after the figure of a 
a man according to the beauty uh, uh, of the man that it may remain in his house. He heweth down cedars and taketh the cypress and the oak which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash and the rain doth nourish it. Look at verse number 15. Because all of that, okay, he just gave a description of those that make idols. And now Isaiah, there's almost a little bit of poking fun at the, the silliness of this. Look at verse 15. Then shall it be for a man to burn. For he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it and baketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god and worshipeth it. And uh, he maketh it a graven image and falleth down thereto. Verse 16. He burneth part thereof in the fire. With part thereof he eateth flesh. He roasteth roast and is satisfied. Yea, he warmeth himself and saith, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he maketh a god. Even his graven image, he falleth down into it, uh, unto it, and worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. The foolishness that Isaiah points out here. He says, look, you cut down trees. You use some of that same tree to make a fire. You use some of that same tree to build your house. And they use the rest of that tree to make a God. Then you put in that fire that you just used some of that tree to build, you warm yourself, you bake your bread, and then from that fire you form a god. Isaiah says it doesn't really make any sense. Because then, verse number 17, you've done all of this, you use this, this fire that you've built out of a tree that you've cut down, you're going to form a god out of it and say, this god's going to supply my needs, even though you just made it. As I said, it doesn't really make any sense. In all of these interests, uh, instances, excuse me, this is not a God who saves, but a God that you must save. The worshiper meets the God's needs in these instances. And going back to Isaiah or Acts chapter 17, we see the contrast then of Paul's declaration of the unknown God. Look back there at Acts 17 and verse number 25. Acts chapter number 17 and verse number 25. We see verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth and dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. This is not a God that has to be created. This is not a God that has to be pleased. This is not a God that has to be strengthened. This is not a God that has to be sustained. This is a God that is by himself God. And he does not need any of us. Biblical worship is due to God, not because he needs us, but because we need him. Uh, I saw this uh, earlier this week. God without man is still a God, is still God, excuse me. But man without God is nothing. God without man is still God, but man without God is nothing. And so we're looking here at God's self-existence, the fact that he is God of himself, by himself, because he is God. Let me give you the definition for God's self-existence there in your handout God's being is only grounded in himself. God's being is only grounded in himself. He is in no way dependent on his creation. He is in no way dependent on his creation. Now, we're going to come full circle here. So I want you to just take these truths and put them in your brain. And we're going to come full circle. 
full circle here. You see that statement down there at the bottom that we just said, true biblical worship is due to God, not because he needs us, but because we need him. That's why we worship God, because we need him. Not because we've got to strengthen him, not because we've got to support him, not because we've got to give him what he needs in order to be a God. No, 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 no. He doesn't need us, but we need him. And that's why we worship him. Uh, go to Exodus chapter number 3 and verse number 14. Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 14. This is God come to Moses on the backside of the desert as he keeps his father-in-law's sheep and is calling him into his role as leader of Israel. Exodus 3, look at verse number 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I am. God says, My name is I am that I am. I am because I am. I am for the very reason that I am. The very name that God gives Moses when calling him to lead Israel out of Egypt is his self-existence. God says, I want you to tell them that I am just because I am, which is important, and we won't get into all of this, because he's going to a people that's been in a nation that worships false gods, that had to be pleased, that had to be strengthened, that had to be sacrificed to. And so when he says, uh, what kind of God is sending me? Moses says, what, what do I tell these people? Which, which God, which God that they serve in Egypt do I tell them? God says, no, 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 you're going to tell them that I'm the God that is God because I'm God. I am that I am. The name of God declares that who he is is who he is. Uh, he is God completely in and of himself. Uh, if, I didn't really put this uh, a spot for this, but if you want to write this somewhere, uh, but we, we call this the doctrine of his Aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y, aseity. That literally means from himselfness. This is God's from himselfness. He exists independent of the world in his self-existence and self-sufficiency. He is God because he is God. He is God by the fact that he is God. He is God for the reason that he is God. And when you think about that, you know, I don't know if you've ever uh, have thought like me and you wonder, well, God is all about himself. Is that selfish? You know, you think about that. Is, is, is the fact that God is all about himself because he is of himself, is that selfish? The declaration of self in this instance, as we look at God, that is not sin. It is the quintessence uh, of all possible goodness, holiness, and truth. It's the, 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 the complete package. When God says it's all about me, he's got every right because he doesn't need anybody else. He's all God because he is God. Uh, look at Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis chapter number 1. And, and this, again... This is such a simple verse. We've probably looked at it just about every week as we talk about who God is. Um, and, and no doubt everybody in here or nearly everybody in here memorized this verse or hasn't memorized from a very early age. But it contains so much truth about who God is in just the four, first four words. Look at it. In the beginning, God. Before we even get to the fact that he created everything, we just see in the beginning... God. 
We said before that it, it assumes the eternality of God. This, uh, 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 that, that he existed before the beginning, before time began. That he was already there, all right? Uh, this uh, also assumes the truth uh, that God existed without his creation. So not only does God exist before creation, he exists without his creation. He does not need creation to exist. He is, in fact, the only reason that creation exists. God exists without uh, creation. Uh, look at Isaiah 40 and, and verse 24 because it gives us more insight on this truth that God exists without creation and so is therefore the only one that could make creation come into existence. Isaiah 40 and verse number 24. I think we probably looked at this uh, verse last week. It says, Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. Yea, they shall also blow, them, uh, blow upon them. They shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. Verse 25, To whom then will ye liken me, saith the Holy One. God uh, is without his creation. Creation, creation exists because of and for God and not the other way around. God does not exist because he needs creation, nor does creation exist because God needs it. Creation exists because God willed it and continues to exist because we are reliant upon his provision, his care, his mercy, and his grace. Uh, think about this. To say that God needs us or to say that God needs his creation is to admit incompleteness in who he is. Need is a word that is spoken of us. Need is a word that's spoken of the creature, but not about the creator. See, God has a voluntary relationship with everything and everyone that he has made, but he has no necessary relationship to anything outside of himself. His interest in his creatures and his creation exists from his sovereign, who he is as a sovereign God. The fact that he controls and is by himself from his sovereign good pleasure, not from any need that those creatures that we can meet for him or any completeness that they can bring to him. God, God does not exist. God does not have interest in creation because we're going to give something to him. No, God exists, uh, or God has interest in his creation uh, because he wants to. You think about that. God loves, and we'll get to that in just a second because I want to get in my head of myself. God loves not because he has to. God loves because he wants to. God loves not because he needs to or because he needs our love back. God loves because he wants to. The opposite thought of need. Whatever your definition or thought or description of what need is or feeling of what need is, the opposite of that is God. To God alone, nothing is necessary. Look at John chapter number 5. John chapter number 5. John 5 and verse number 26. John chapter 5 and verse number 26, the Bible says, For the as the Father hath life in himself, 
in himself, of himself, by himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. The Father and the Son have life in themselves. And that's opposite of us because our life comes from him. Uh, creation, existence, uh, Colossians says the consistency of all things, matter and how everything sticks together comes from him. But he has life of himself. You know, you think about this. We do not live today. We do not exist today. Uh, we are not here today just because of ourselves. At the very least, at the very least, we have life and breath because God gave it to us. Uh, but we have life today because someone humanly gave it to us. We have life today because someone raised us, provided for us, gave us what we needed. Today, even if we live in our own place, even if we buy our own clothes and we drive our own car and we have our own food, we are still reliant and survive because of others. For work, for food, for shelter, for clothing, everything that we have is because of someone else. Someone grew the food and made the food that you eat. Someone put together the car that you drive. Someone made sure that gas came from who knows where and got into your car. Uh, you survive because of someone else. There is nothing that God has or is or does that is because of someone else. It is all of himself and in himself that he is. Uh, you're in John. Look at verse number or chapter number one, excuse me. Again, kind of going back to this idea of creation, but John chapter number one, look at verse number one, familiar verse. In the beginning was the Word, so similar to Genesis 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made, verse 4, in Him was life. In the beginning was the Word. Again, just like Genesis, it assumes, it assumes the existence of God before and without creation. The Word being God, existing before the beginning of everything else besides Him. All things were made by Him. In verse uh, number 3, He is the source of everything. It would not exist without God allowing it. And without Him was not anything made that was made. As verse number 3 said, it would not exist without God bringing into existence. It was not, and now it is only because of Him. It is because of him. Uh, look at uh, uh, Revelation chapter number 4. Revelation chapter number 4. And look at verse number 11. The Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things... And for thy pleasure, they are and were created. Now, what exactly does that mean? Because it seems to say that God needs us for his pleasure. That he needs to be pleased by us. That he needs us for his happiness, for our joy. Do not be confused into thinking that God needs us to please him. Now, we ought to want to please him. That ought to be out of a love in our hearts for him. We ought to want to bring joy to our Heavenly Father. But God is not in need of that. He does not rely on us for his pleasure or for his joy. Uh, God is worshipped not by hands that bring an offering to him so that he can get strength. Not by hands that are raised because that is going to, to, to build up some kind of divine supernatural power in him. That is not what those hands are for. God is worshipped by hands that we raise in praise and thanksgiving not to supply the needs of God. Uh, I read this quote, but I wanted to, to read it for you. Uh, uh, 
people have sometimes thought that God created human beings because he was lonely and needed fellowship with other persons. If this were true, it would certainly mean that God is not completely independent of creation. It would mean that God would need to create persons in order to be completely happy or completely fulfilled in his personal existence. Don't think that God created us because God was lonely sitting up in heaven twiddling his thumbs or drumming his fingers. No, that's not why he did. Now, thy pleasure. Because that verse says, for thy pleasure they were created. So why were we created? Well, that word pleasure means God's will or his determination or his purpose, his choice, his decree. We are and were created not because God needed us, but because God wants to use us in his perfect and sovereign will. It's so much better. We're not here because we are needed. We're here because he wants to use us, because he wants to partner with us, because he wants to have that relationship with us. God does not need mankind to accomplish his will and plan, but he wants to use us to do just that. Now, why is this whole truth, the fact that God exists without us and that God does not need us, but he wants us, why is this so amazing? Let me, let me say this. If God is not independent of us, then he is not worthy, qualified, or able to save us, let alone to receive worship and praise. If God is not independent of us, there is no way that God could save us. If God is not self-sufficient, if, if he is not of himself, then he is weak and pathetic. He may be a God like us, but he is not a God better than us. He may be a God in our world, but he is not a God Above our world. You know, if God is not free from creation, then we might pray for him. We, we're not, we have no reason to pray to him. Here's the thing, and this is that next statement on your handout. Because God is free from creation, it is for that reason that he is able to enter into creation in order to save lost sinners. Well, you ought to be thankful that God exists by himself because it's for that reason that he could come and save you. Now, before we close, I want to point out two things because as we hear this truth and as you study about God, believe me, your mind, the devil is going to try to put lies in your mind about who God is. It's what he did to Eve. So let me, before we leave here, point out two things that we could presume from this truth that we may be led to believe that are untrue. The first one is, we do not matter to God if he does not need us. We could be tempted to think that. Because God doesn't need us, then we don't matter to him. The second one is, God is not relational or God does not want a relationship with us if he is independent of us. Now, we know... And there is overwhelming evidence in the word of God to refute either one of those. But we, should, we can still be tempted to believe those. See, let me say this. While God does not need us to exist and is no way obligated to enter into a relationship with us, he created us in his image and made us to fellowship with him. We won't take time, but for the, uh, you can read Genesis 1 and 2. And you read that God created man because he wanted to have fellowship with him. Because he want, not because he needed, but because he wanted to have that relationship with mankind. We matter because God determined that we would be meaningful. We matter 
Because God determined, not because God needs us, but because God determined that we would be meaningful. We matter not because of God's need for us, or excuse me, of us, but because of God's love for us. We matter not because God needs us, but because God loves us. Uh, you know, there is no greater relationship than true love. Certainly, it exists so much higher and better than need for someone else. Even when sin destroyed our relationship and opportunity to have that fellowship with him, he, listen, he chose to voluntarily enter into a saving covenant relationship with us, even though he was in no way obligated to save us. You know, God had every right when Adam and Eve fell, God had every right to condemn the entire human race to hell and do nothing about it. God was not obligated to save us. God had no reason to send Jesus, but because of his love. God chose to. God wanted to. He loves us because of that. Uh, listen, uh, this is the last statement in our handout. And this is the one thing I want you to take away from this lesson. As we talk about the fact that God is God of himself. Self-existent, self-sufficient, it does not need us. And you ought to be thankful for that because this last statement is the key. The gospel depends on a God who does not depend on you. The gospel depends on a God who does not depend on you. And thank God for that. Now, while God does not need us, he has given us the privilege to serve him. And in God's plan to reach the world, even in that, he doesn't need us. God could reach the world and get the gospel to the rest of the world however he wants, but he wants us. See, you're serving God or sharing your faith is not, listen, it, you're, not deliver, you're not doing God a favor. You're not delivering God from some embarrassing situation that his love got himself into. You're not doing that. It's the opportunity to partner with the almighty, eternal, infinite, self-sufficient God of heaven to be a part of the fulfillment of his plan and purpose for your life. So be thankful. Well, as you think about this week, the fact that God is God by himself, of himself, and thank God for that, because there would be no other way for us to have salvation if he wasn't.